is the Mayfair Witchcast, where I tell my favorite person, me, Tim, my favorite story. So listen along every week as I break down this story chapter by chapter with that insight, me. Warning, we are not professionals. This story contains many triggers. We talk about them as gently as we can. But I'm just a girl telling her husband an amazing story of a family of witches, ghosts, ancient orders, lust, and love. So join us for a read-along in discussion of the lives of the Mayfair witches. Hello, babe. Hello, dear. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the Mayfair Witchcast. Today, we are doing the second part of Chapter 22 and the first part of Chapter 23, both of which are about Deirdre. But first, babe, what do you remember from last time? Uh, I, I don't. Sorry, it's been a while. It has been a little <laughs> while. Uh, we did... We covered Aaron entering the town of Nazca. Uh, and uh, trying, yeah, trying to remember. We covered Anta, Deirdre's mother, her way too short life. And we also had Rowan's odd dream on the plane. Oh, yeah. So we did quite a lot of different subjects in the last episode. So we're going to pick right up for the last part of Chapter 22, which is titled Deirdre Mayfair. How we started, right? Yeah, we're full circle. We're back to um, the woman on the porch, as we've seen her in the present day. He starts this section by saying... The first street house continued to deteriorate after Antha's death. Uh, the pole becomes a swamp. Shutters are once again bolted. Cortland comes and, and tries to visit. But, you know, of course he's turned away. Um, he comes on Christmas and he sits on the front parlor and he hangs out with Millie, dear, Belle, and Nancy. But, you know, he's not really that welcome. He doesn't want to be turned away. He wants to see the child, Deirdre, on birthdays and Christmases. And he wants to be around. He, he wants to be in her life. He's her grandfather, uncle, brother, or dad. <laughs> um, Corley would come home from these visits, like, when he would be turned away, like, in tears. It said that he makes them get a Christmas tree when Deirdre's three years old. It'll be her first ever Christmas tree. He brings the decorations and everything, and he, like, makes them put it up. By this time, Cortland looks just like his dad, Julian. Everyone loves Cortland. Even his ex, which we've heard a lot from them, as far as Deirdre, though, not much is known about these early years of her life. So as time goes on, like, you know, stories become legend, blah, 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 blah. Julian's son Barclay dies in 1949, Garland in 1951. Cortland's son Grady dies the same year as Garland after a fall from a horse. His mother, Amanda Grady Mayfair, died shortly after that. Amanda, we've heard from a lot in recent chapters. She's a gossip. She left Cortland and ran away to New York. Erwin Dandridge dies in 1952. So, you know, th there's like a lot of people leaving the scene. And this is like a new generation. And stories are not being passed on. When Dandridge dies, he's replaced by a woman named Juliet Milton... She collects numerous stories from a Beatrice Mayfair, who we've heard from briefly. So, in 1953, Aaron begins 
his full-time work on the translation of Peter Van Abel's letters. He reads all the reports from then all the way up to 12-year-old Deirdre. He sends investigators after every little bit of information he can. He tells them to dig. There's nothing I do not want to know. He calls this Juliet Milton personally and tells her he'll pay well for anything extra she can turn up. During these early years, Deirdre followed in the footsteps of her mother, being expelled for her strange behavior. You know, Sister Bridget Marie, who's now in her 60s, sees like the invisible friend or the man or as we know as Lasher who finds things and makes flowers fly through the air. For months at a time, Deirdre has to stay at home where she's just basically like running wild in the garden, climbing trees, barefoot, in this unkempt <laughs> yard of a jungle. There's not really staff anymore at the house. By now, um, Aunt Esther, remember her? She's like a descendant of like some Mayfair. Her daughter is now working there. She does the cooking and the cleaning. Miss Nancy Mayfair is the real housekeeper and she manages housekeeping things. Millie Deer and Belle are both beautiful old women and they like tend to the roses. The family goes to 9 o'clock mass every Sunday. Miss Millie and Miss Belle go shopping. They're seen around town. They go to lunch. They go to funerals and wakes. No one remembers anymore that anything had ever been wrong with Miss Belle. Yeah, I don't remember either. Um, she is the... She's the not... Mayfair, right? She is a Mayfair. She is um, the oldest daughter of um, Mary Beth, who is, she has some type of development delay or something. They never really say what it is, but she's described as being like special or like touched. Like she's not all there. They say at one point that she's got the mental capacity of like a four-year-old or something like that. But I guess by now, the time she's an old woman, things come back full circle. Nobody really even notices because she's just standing around smiling, being sweet. Nobody notices anymore. Nancy, who I believe is the one that they took in and pretended it was Antha's sister, but wasn't. She's not a Mayfair. She True. is a Mayfair. They're all Mayfair. Everybody's a Mayfair. I thought one wasn't. Um. They just took her in. That's Nancy. She's a, from a cousin. From a co Mayfair cousin. Was like too young and having a baby and they uh, took her in. I don't know. I swear but her she, father's probably Cortland anyway. So. I swear she wasn't one now. But anywho. She's different, Nancy. She's described as. Dirty and unwashed and uh, like unkempt. And nobody questions the story that she's Stella's sister, though. So it's with Nancy and Miss Bell and Carlotta that Deirdre grows up with these old women in this old decaying house. <laughs> of course, there's the gossip. They compare it to her mother, they remember the congenital insanity. Deirdre's kind of like a tomboy, you know, by the age of five, she's like climbing trees. By nine, she runs away for the first time and she shows up on the front porch of the uh, orphanage telling the sisters that she is cursed and possessed of the devil. Of course, when Carlotta shows up, she explains that it's just an overactive imagination, nothing more. A year later... Deirdre's just like wandering out in a rainstorm and the police find her like shivering and crying saying she's afraid to go home. She lies about who she is and makes up a story that she's a gypsy who's come to town with a circus and how her mother had been murdered by the animal trainer <laughs> and how she tried to commit suicide with rare poison but had been taken to the hospital 
where they drew all the blood out of her veins. So she even she does have quite the imagination. Well, she's just a liar. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's quite the fucking story. My mother was killed by the animal trainer. Like the officers, like look at her. Like she's absolutely telling the truth. She's being absolutely earnest when they look into her eyes. Then her uncle and her aunt come, and she pretends she doesn't know them. Then she says that they keep her chained up in an upstairs room. When she's ten, Deirdre's packed off to Ireland to boarding school. This is apparently, according to family gossip, Cortland's idea to get her away from there. Deirdre's home within a month. So for the next two years, she studies at home. She's homeschooled by a governess. When she's 13, she is, um... Developed <laughs> at an early age. Balloons, huh? Yeah. Developed. Well, let me. What word does she use? Far more voluptuous than Antha had been as a grown woman, is how she is described. Legal gossip will say that one afternoon, Deirdre rushed into the waiting room of Cortland's office. Hysterical. They don't know what it's about, though. They never see her again at the office. When she's 14, she tries to cut her wrists. She's rushed to the hospital. Enter Beatrice. Aunt B. She's back. She tells Beatrice that she wants to buy cosmetics. That she's only been in a drugstore one time in her life. So, of course, Beatrice runs out and buys the shit. Does she take her or she just go for her? Oh, she went for her because she was in the hospital. Um, when she gets back, she's told that Carlotta has put a stop to all of the visits. And then she calls Cortland, who says she has no idea why she did that. Maybe she just wanted to get out of the house. That week, Cortland arranges for Deirdre to go to California. She's home again at the end of two weeks. The L.A. Mayfair's... Don't say anything to anyone about what happened, but years later, their son, Elton, tells an investigator that his cousin from New Orleans was crazy, that she believed herself to be cursed by some sort of legacy. She talked about suicide and that they had taken her to see doctors who said she'd never be normal. <laughs> what really finishes it, though, is that they saw her out in the backyard one night with a man. And she kept denying it because she's afraid. They're afraid. She's 13. They send her home. This is when Aaron takes note that Deirdre looks so mature that people judge her. And he doesn't like it. He's not about it. So, again, here comes Beatrice. She's, you know, like that fiery aunt. But Nancy won't let her in to see her. Deirdre's now 16. She's gone to school for a full semester. She's really happy. This is where she meets a Miss Rita Mae Dreyer, or who will become Rita Mae Lonigan. Best friends forever. And, you know, then the whole shit with her mysterious friends happens. She's accused of bringing a man onto school grounds. We heard all this before. Yeah. And Aaron says, the remarkable point is that Rita Mae Lonigan, unless she is exaggerating, actually heard Lasher speak. Huh. Which we now know is very different and unique. This isn't something that... I think only her and Peter Van Abel have heard this thing speak up till this point. They know at this point Deirdre has the emerald in her possession. She shows it to Rita Mae, who sees the engraving on the back that says Lasher. If Rita Mae's story is true, Deirdre knew little about her mother or grandmother. 
She understood that the emerald came from these women, but she did not even know how Stella or Antha had died. Worst thought. Mm -hmm. 1956. Deirdre is destroyed by being expelled from this school. She's admitted to St. Anne's Asylum for six weeks. It said that she begged for shock treatment and was given it twice. She's at this point not even 17. Cortland is said to be dead against this. Of course, you know, there are a bunch of sightings of Deirdre and the mysterious man. We had a couple little stories in there. It's the same as we've heard before. So as fall that year rolls around, there are reports of fighting and screaming from the house. Um, neighbors call the police. And Aaron is able to obtain a full account of this incident. He talks to the cop who didn't like going there. He didn't like bothering these Garden District families like Carlotta Mayfair, Miss Carl, the one who works for the judge. She's all, who called you here? What do you want? I'm going to talk to the judge. His partner says that people had heard the young lady in the house screaming. Would you, they would like to talk to her and make sure she's okay. And he's like, I thought Miss Carl was going to kill him. So she brings Deirdre out, who is crying and shaking all over. And she said to this guy, you make her give me my mother's thanks. She took my mother's thanks. Miss Carl says she's had enough of this intrusion. That's when Deirdre takes off. Out the house, towards the squad car, tries to get into the fucking car and is yelling, take me away. This girl wants out so bad. Ugh. It makes me feel bad. I guess it's supposed to. There's no getting out from what it sounds like because Flash is always there. Well. And she gets kicked out everywhere she goes. Yeah. <laughs> so she breaks into sobs. And then Miss Carl puts her arms around Deirdre and takes her back inside. The next day, Carlotta calls the captain and tries to have the two policemen fired. <laughs> a different squad is sent the next week. Where Deirdre's trying to leave the house. Where they talk her into sitting down on the porch steps and wait until her uncle, Cortland, gets there. But Deirdre runs away the following day. So... She's missing. Cortland starts calling all the cousins, the New York cousins, you know, doing the Mayfair thing. Like they did when Antha disappeared. But now, there's no Amanda Grady Mayfair. She's, she's passed. So Deirdre's eventually found wandering around barefoot and incoherent in Greenwich Village. There's evidence that she had been raped. Cortland flies out to New York to bring Deirdre back. Aaron says, The repeat of history came full circle with Deirdre's second commitment to St. Anne's Asylum. A week later, she was released and went to live with Cortland in his old family home in Medellin. And I think that is a good place for us to take a break. But before we do, are you following along with little Deirdre's story? Yeah. Is this the saddest one yet? I was gonna say we heard half of it already. Yeah, they're <clears throat> just adding more sad things in. Yeah, of course. So we'll pick up with this sad, sad story after this break. Okay, we're back with Deirdre's sad, sad story. So, Corlin has taken Deirdre to his house. 
Good move. This leaves Carlotta, like, totally beaten down. So, Aunt Beatrice, being Aunt Beatrice, goes to check on Carlotta. Of course, when she gets there, Carlotta is sitting alone in the parlor. She won't talk. She's, like, staring at the spot where they used to put the coffin back in the old days. <laughs> she only says things like, yes, no, or... Mm. Finally, Beatrice is like, okay, I'm done with this sadness. <laughs> and she goes straight to visit Deirdre at Cortland's house. Cortland's house has been in the family since Cortland built it when he was a young man. It's a brick mansion. It has passed to Ryan Mayfair. And for several years, Sheffield and Eugene Mayfair shared it with Cortland. And their only child is the one and only Ellie Mayfair. Huh. Who would adopt Rowan. Yeah. So she grew up in Cortland's house. Of course, you know, we now know Ellie moved to California, got married to a lawyer, asshole Graham Franklin. By this time, Cortland lives in this mansion on his own. And according to B, Deirdre's just fine. So we get some information from Erin's private investigator, Juliet. She says, this family doesn't realize that this girl has a lover. I mean, a lover. One very distinguished, if easy, easily recognized lover. Who was seen in her company over and over. All the descriptions of this young man are the same. <laughs> She's. This Juliet Milton has never heard the rumors about the ghosts or witches or curses. And she really believes this person is a human being. At the same time. In the Irish Channel. People are gossiping gossiping about Deirdre and the man. And of course, by the man, they did not mean a human being. They're talking about something completely different. Mayfers and the man is a common thing. First it was Stella, then Antha, now Deirdre. This has been going on forever. People have been talking about it. So we roll around to the summer of 1958. Aaron is prepared to go to New Orleans. He is finished putting together the Mayfair history into its early version. He is deeply and passionately concerned about Deirdre Mayfair. Sound familiar? He's gonna save her. He's gonna go save a bitch, just like, just like just Stewart, like, just like, like Peter Van Abel. They all fall in love with the story. Well, I mean, I honestly, I can't blame him. I fell in love with the story, too. <laughs> it, although he did write it for me. I mean, well, you know, Anne wrote it for me, but in the voice of Aaron. So, after discussions with their leader, a Scott Reynolds, he's the new director, and several meetings with the council, it's decided that Aaron can go. And that he should use his own judgment as to whether Deirdre Mayfair is old enough or stable enough to be approached. So, Aline Barrett was his mentor, the oldest and most experienced member of the town mascot, had died the year before. She was the leading expert in the town mascot on witch families. So, this kind of leaves Aaron as the leading expert, yeah. right? He ends this chapter. And indeed, those who had been most frightened by the deaths of Stuart Townsend and Arthur Langtree, and most likely to forbid my going to New Orleans, were no longer alive. So yeah, everybody who so knew bitch. anything <laughs> is dead. And that's where chapter 22 ends. So Aaron's on his way. Let's hear it. 
23. The File on the Mayfair Witches, Part 9. The Story of Deirdre Mayfair, Revised Completely, 1989. <laughs> so, new info. We just skipped like 30 years? No. When did his... When did his mentor uh, die? Well, he's writing this in 89, but he's going to pick up. He starts with, I arrived in New Orleans in July of 1958. Okay. And immediately checked into a small, informal French Quarter hotel. <laughs> <laughs> so, now we, we start with Aaron arriving in, in New Orleans. Okay. He consults the public records. Uh, he attempts contact with Richard Llewellyn, which we know is quite successful, he says, you know, because we've heard that story already. He manages to run into a teacher of Deirdre's who clarified the reasons for her expulsion. She believed that Deirdre had been having an affair with an older man and to have been a vile and deceitful girl. He hears stories about the Mayfair Emerald and how Deirdre has stolen it from her aunt because how else could she have it, you know? He again talks about how Deirdre's, like, mature body has left people with, like, a certain image of her, and this pisses him off. He's like, it's not right. Like, they age her. They sexualize her because of the way she looks, <laughs> not for anything that she's done. Like, people come out and say it, that, like, she's so mature, you know? That young girl has no business doing blah, 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 blah. It is kind of fucked up. So he starts walking around the Garden District. And he sees the now very neglected house on First Street. He says it exudes evil. Like, people cross the street when they have to walk by it. They're like, uh-uh. <laughs> Something evil lived in this house. Lived and breathed, as it were, and waited, and perhaps mourned. He visits the Mayfair tomb, and he talks to the caretaker, who tells him that there's always fresh flowers in those stone vases, though no one ever sees who puts them there, which we heard briefly before, but it's confirmation for Aaron. And Aaron says... Do you think it's some old lover of Stella Mayfair's? And the guy is like, oh no. Good heavens, no. It's him. That's who it is. The Mayfair's ghost. He's the one who puts those flowers there. And you want to know something? Sometimes. He takes them off the altar in the chapel. <laughs> Which we also have heard. So next, Aaron drives down to Riverbed, explores what's left. He calls the investigator, Juliet Milton. She is more than happy to introduce him to Beatrice, who is super happy to go to lunch with him. He says he's interested in the Southern history and the history of the Mayfair family. So be Beatrice. Mayfair, she's about 35. She's a pretty young lady. She's considered a rebel as far as the family's concerned. She pretty much verifies that little or nothing is known in the present time about the family's past. I don't know the legend. The names are confused. The scandal stories have become, like, outrageous. She doesn't know who built Riverbend or First Street. Like, she knows nothing. Beatrice believes that what's evil inside the house on First Street is Carlotta. Partly true. <laughs> yeah. She also believes that the only thing that's wrong with Deirdre is that she's been too sheltered her whole life. You know, she says, that witch killed Erwin Dandridge. He's like, no, I did not know this. <laughs> He's never heard this. It's reported to them in 1952 that Dandridge dies of a heart attack. 
is it's known that he has a heart condition. So they just accepted that. Beatrice says she talked to him the day he died. Carlotta called him and accused him of spying on the family, which he was. She says, if you want to know about us, come up here to First Street and I'll tell you more than you ever want to hear. Beatrice tells him not to go. She'll sue you. She'll do something terrible to you. She's out of her mind. Dandridge is like, I'm going to go see that house for myself. Nobody I know has been in it since Stella died. She makes him promise to, to call as soon as he gets home, but he never does. He dies that afternoon. She poisoned him. Beatrice knows she did. She poisoned him. And they said it's a heart attack when they found him, but that bitch Carlotta poisoned him. Beatrice is short. She gave him just enough so he could go home and die there. Aaron's like, what makes you so certain? And she says, because it's not the first time that this has happened. Deirdre told Cortland that there's a dead body in the attic of that house on First Street. Yeah, a dead body. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like, Cortland told you this? She's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> she uh, she's just going on and on, each stuff in her face. Um, <laughs> she says, poor Deirdre. She tells these doctors things like that, and then they give her shock treatment. But it's true, you know? She remembers something about a young man who disappeared right before Stella died. Um, you know, probably him. She goes on about, and then there's, you know, Cornell. You know, he died in the hotel right after he called Carlotta. She poisons him, and then they go home and die. According to Beatrice, this is what happens. Then she makes the connection. She's like, aha. That guy that disappeared, he was an Englishman. From some order. You're an Englishman. From some order. She says, Mr. Leitner, you better watch your step. <laughs> so, like, if Carlotta invites you up for tea, don't go. Or don't drink the tea. Aaron asks about the ghost. She's like, oh, which one? There's, like, Julian. Everybody's seen Julian. And then there's, like, that spook that throws over people's ladders. And then Aaron's like, no, I want to know about the one they call the man. But she's never heard that expression. The man. So she's that out of touch. Of, like, what actually is going on. She thinks there are multiple ghosts. Yeah. Well, they could be. Well, maybe. Up to this point, they just let us believe it's just all flasher. Um, yeah, except for like Michael's visions. Remember, there were like people there, and like she flat out says people see Julian. I think when she says the spook that throws over people's ladders, that's the man. But she's never heard him referred to as, quote, the man. As soon as he's out of there, he calls Juliet Milton, their spy. And he's like, don't ever go near the house. Don't have anything to do with the Carlotta. Don't go to lunch with Beatrice again. We'll give you a check. Just just bow out. She's like, well, what did I do? And he's like, nothing. Just, just don't. For your safety. Just don't. So Aaron is, at this point, convinced that he has to see Deirdre from afar before he talks to her. He tries to make contact with Cortland, offering to share the history, but Cortland refuses. And Aaron doesn't, he doesn't know what to do next. He's confused. Then he gets word that Deirdre's gone off to college in Texas. This is done without Carlotta's permission, like behind her back. She's pissed. So, you know, two days later, Aaron is at... Texas Women's University. He's blending in. He is 36 and he looks like a professor. So, 
It's just, you know, perfect for him. He sees Deer Tree for the first time a couple of days after he gets there. And he's immediately confused. He's a little, like, starstruck. Like, oh my god. I'm actually seeing her. She does exist. <laughs> he's like, should he leave her alone? Should he tell her everything? Does he even have a right to be there? So he watches from a distance. You know, he's like following her around, being a little stalkery-ish. He's afraid to scare her. It'd be terrible for her to f discover that she's being followed. So he leaves immediately after he has that thought and he goes back to his little hotel. But that afternoon, he goes back. This is when he follows her into a large, deeply neglected garden area. It's a shadowy, overgrown place. He's going down this small walkway when he looks up to see Deirdre just facing him. She's like, holds her hand out and just like, come, come closer, you know, beckons him forward. And she's like, Mr. Leitner, what is it you want? She's not angry or scared. And he realizes that she's wearing the emerald. He like struggles to say something. Like, simple and honest and thoughtful. But what comes out is, I've been following you. <laughs> She's like, yeah, I know. He's like, danger. Danger. I'm in danger. It's like going off in his head. She's like, just tell me what you want. He starts with, Deirdre, I know many things about you and your mother and your mother's mother and blah, 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 blah. In a house in Amsterdam, there's a portrait of a woman who's your ancestor. She's Deborah. She's the one who bought that emerald hundreds of years ago. None of this surprises Deirdre. He's like, tell me if you want to know this. Do you want to know? Do you want to see the letters from, like, your ancestor to Deborah? Hear how she died in France? Like... Did you know on the day she died, Lasher brought a storm to this village? And then he's like, stop. And he's like, oh, shit. Hmm. I'm saying too much. <laughs> and then she's like, I don't want to know. I want to forget what I do know. I came here to get away. He says nothing. And that's when she starts to tell him that her aunt says that you study us because you believe we're special. You would help the evil in us. By talking about the evil, you would feed it. You know, she's explaining what her aunt has told her. He's amazed that Carlotta Mayfair knows who the Talamasca is. He, that surprises him. And then he's like, oh yeah, Stuart. Stuart must have told her and that's why she killed him. Right? She's like, no, I don't want it. I never want to go home again. And he's like, okay, I understand. But memorize my name. Take this card. Memorize the phone numbers on it. And call me if you ever need me. She takes the card, studies it, and puts it in her pocket. Then she says to him, he's the devil. He really is. Then he's like, well, why are you wearing the emerald? She smiles, and her right hand goes around it, and she pulls on a chain and breaks it. She goes, for one very definite reason, Mr. Leitner, it's the simplest way to bring it here. And I mean to give it to you. She reaches out and puts it in Aaron's hand. The emerald. He's like, he'll kill me, you know? Like, he'll kill me, and he'll take it back. You know he's gonna kill me now. <laughs> He's, she's like, no, he can't do that. She, like, looks at him in shock, and he's like, yeah, of course he can. He's like, let me tell you what I know about this thing. Let me tell you what I know about others who see things like this. You're not alone. You needn't be alone. And she's like, oh, oh God, he can't do that. I don't believe he can do something like that. So Aaron's like, oh, okay, I'll take my chances. I'll take the emerald. Then he's like, I can help you. Just like, tell me what you want. She's like, I want you to go away. You know, and never speak about these things again. And Eric goes on, like, he wants to know, can he 
make you see him when you don't want him to. And she's like, I want it to stop. I don't want to think about him or speak of him or look at him. And maybe. And he's like, well, what do you want for yourself? She's just like, I want to be normal. I want a normal life. This is when Aaron's like, kind of realizes like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I disturbed you. And she's like, can you make him go away? Can you people do that? No. No, they can't do that. But maybe she can. She cries. Takes the emerald back. Slings it as far as she can. Hits some water. And she's like, it'll come back. It always comes back. Then she goes on to say how when she's lonely or when she's miserable, he's always there. Erin wants to know what happens if she doesn't fight him. And her response is, I die. And the world dies around me. And there's only him. So I don't know if that's how she feels or if that's what she thinks is going to happen to her. Either way, it's pretty grim. Yeah. She's afraid, but she's not going to die. She's going to fight him and she's going to win. And Aaron's never going to come near her again. And she's never going to say his name again or look at him or invite him to come. And he'll leave her alone. He'll go away and he'll find someone else to love. So when Aaron is like, well, does he love you? She's like, yeah, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, what does he want? And she's like, you know what he wants. He wants me. The same thing you want. Because I make him come through. Lasher told... Deirdre, Aaron was coming. He said something strange that she can't quite remember. It was like a curse, what he said. I shall eat the meat and drink the wine and have the women when he is moldering in the grave. This is um, Peter Van Abel. These are his words. So she's like, you know what? Go away. You're a nice guy, but I don't want him to hurt you. So just go away. Aaron, again, is like, I can help you. And she's like, no. So he's like, okay, if you ever need my help, call me. Also, your aunt is wrong. We want to know you. We want to help you. We want to give you what we have. You can come to our house in London. And she doesn't answer. You know I'm speaking the truth, Aaron says. And I know you know. Because they're doing the whole mind-reading thing. So he's looking at her. And then, directly behind her, he sees him. Not even an inch from her. Brilliantly realized. Staring with his brown eyes at Aaron. He cries out. Leaps up to his feet. She's all like, what? What? What is it? She's terrified. She jumps up. Throws herself into his arms. She's like, tell me what it is. <laughs> he memorizes what he sees. Because, you know, Talamaska. It's a malicious young man. Smiling coldly as he stood behind her. Clothes prim and dark without detail. As if the entire energy of the being were absorbed in the lustrous eyes. And the white teeth and the gleaming skin. Eventually, Deirdre runs away. Aaron calls home. His director says, get the hell out of there. Come home. He's like, I haven't come this far to be scared off. His leader or whatever tells him that, like, you know, you're doing what the spirit wants. You're giving him the energy that it wants. He wants to, like, taunt you. He's like, I'm not, I'm going back to New Orleans. This leader is, like, on the verge of ordering him to come back when he pulls rank. He's older than this dude, and he had declined the position as director. So that's why this dude has it. So he doesn't order him to come home. Last thing dude says is, alright, well, don't drive. At least take the train. <laughs> and I was like, this is a surprisingly welcome suggestion. So he does. He takes the train home. Considers what happened. This girl has renounced 
her history and her powers. Her aunt had brought her up to reject the spirit lasher. And she's been losing this battle. They want to help her, but can they break the chain? Who knows? He thinks about how this thing is powerful. Only ghosts of people who have been very recently deceased appear so strong. For instance, the ghost of a pilot in action may appear on the very day of his death in his sister's parlor. And she'd say after, why, he was so real, I could see the mud on his shoes. But ghosts of long departed souls don't have the density or vividness like Lasher did. This thing likes to appear. That's why it shows itself to so many people. It likes to have a body, even if it's only for a second. And with great effort, this thing can make itself appear to cry or smile. What does this thing want? Is it to get stronger? What's the meaning of this curse that Peter's letter read? I shall drink the wine and eat the meat and know the warmth of the women when you are no longer even bones. Which is the actual quote that, that Deirdre could not remember. I shall drink the wine and eat the meat and know the warmth of the woman when you are no longer even bones. That is a little creepy. And lastly, why is it not tormenting or enticing him right now as he's writing this on the train? Why? Was it taking his energy from Deirdre or from Aaron? What happened to Peter Van Abel? It probably had to do something with his powers and how the thing manipulated them. And Aaron doesn't really have that sort of power. So maybe he can't feed off of Aaron because he's not as strong as Peter was. Finally, he gets back to New Orleans, and immediately strange and unpleasant things start to happen. He's nearly run down by a taxi. Then the taxi he gets into to take him to the hotel nearly collides with another car as they pull up to the curb. In the lobby, a drunken tourist bumps into him and tries to start a fight, but fortunately his wife diverts him. His shoulder was bruised from the small incident. He's shaken from the, the car thing. So he's climbing up the stairs and a weak part of the old wooden railing comes loose and he almost loses his balance falling down the, over the stairs. An hour later, he's writing these things down in his diary and a fire breaks out on the third floor. <laughs> Coincidence? He's okay. So is everyone else involved. So that night goes on uneventful, but he doesn't get much sleep. The next day, he calls and has a private investigator hired in Texas to, you know, watch Deirdre. Then he sits down and he writes Cortland a letter. A long letter explaining who he is, what the Talamasca is, what they know, the history, about the Rembrandt painting of Deborah. How Peter Van Abel first saw Lesher and Donna Leith in the 1600s and how there's been countless sightings since. He makes a copy of this letter for Carlotta. He includes his name and current address at the hotel. He personally goes and puts this shit in Carlotta's mailbox and in Cortland's mail slot himself. He does it personally. Goes back to the hotel. Instead of going to his room, he goes to the bar. With like a foreboding feeling. Like he feels like, he's like, oh shit. I'm gonna die. <laughs> so he sits there and he drinks some whiskey while he writes in his diary. Until about 8 o'clock. When he looks up and sees Cortland. Standing there. And... Now, Aaron has studied pictures of all the Mayfairs, and he looks at Cortland, and he's like, oh, fuck, that is Julian. Like, it looks just like Julian. It looks more like Julian than it looks like Cortland. You know? I guess Cortland has aged a little bit since photos. 
Aaron's like, will you sit down? And then he thinks, thank God it's not Carlotta. (laughs) To which Cortland replies, I don't think you will hear from my cousin Carlotta. But I think it's time you and I have a talk. I think this is good cliffhanger spot to leave off for this episode of the podcast. Yeah. What is Cortland going to say? What do you think Cortland's going to say? I don't know. Back the fuck off or you'll die. (laughs) Probably. Probably. Or we'll give him some feedback. What's been really going on? Who knows? Yeah. He might warn him. What else is he going to do? He's been trying to protect Deirdre. Deirdre. Deirdre, you think Deirdre. he's... Yeah. He's definitely had Deirdre's best interest at heart. But he's also a creep. He's, he's the dad. Uncle, brother, dad. Incest. Motherfucker. Starting to build up momentum here. Yeah. We've gotten to the point where Aaron enters the picture. We're filling in the blanks between up to where Deirdre becomes the woman on the porch. She's not quite the woman on the porch yet, but we know that's where she gets, so can't really ask you to predict that. Ma'am, what's the next chapter called her? Well, we're in the middle of um, chapter 23. So we get the rest of Deirdre's story next. Well, first we get this conversation between Cortland and Aaron. Then we get um, more Deirdre. So that will be next episode. And then... After that, the following week will be chapter 24, which is not part of the file. (laughs) You will have to wait until then to see who or what it's about. Who are you hoping to hear from? Rowan. Rowan? Yeah. Left us off with a traumatic experience. Yeah. she Brief. Worried about her. That's it? Wow. Let's get ready to get back to the, the future. <laughs> to the future. Present. Listeners, if you have any thoughts or questions or anything you'd like to add, you can reach out to us by emailing us at themayfairwitchcast at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at Mayfaircast. Let us know. Whatever you're thinking. Or just say hi. Next week, we'll wrap up chapter 23. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.